And welcome to episode 46 of the Thodcast. And, uh, hey, it's a very special day where we're once again talking Frozen 2. My name's Philip Elke, coming to you from Hollywood, and today I'm joined by my co-hosts Jody Pulaski and Hannah Smart. How is it going? Hi, everyone. It's going great. I really wanted my intro to be the Aurora sound, like, but then I got scared, so well, there it is. Hi, excited to talk to you guys about Frozen again. Frozen 2. Well, thanks for joining. Hannah, how are you? I'm good, and I'm just wondering, how's Samantha? <laughs> That's a good question. I've uh, been saying that to my niece for, like, the whole week now, and she thinks it is the funniest thing. Like, the name Samantha just cracks kids up now. Uh-oh. He uh, cursed everyone with that name, Josh Gad, and his in-studio improv <laughs> during the recording of Frozen 2 Dialogue. Um, I, I did hear it's that. It's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, a bit of an unscripted episode, unscripted, um, where we'll be further reviewing and recapping uh, the new film from Walt Disney Animation Studios, the 58th film from Walt Disney Animation Studios, Frozen 2, directed by Chris Buck and Jennifer Lee, and uh, with song, new original songs composed by Robert Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez, starring Kristen Bell, Idina Menzel, Josh Gad, Jonathan Groff, uh, and so forth. Wow, okay, how is, th- this is coming off the Thanksgiving weekend. Um, I've seen the movie four times, how about you? both i've seen it three times um you know we saw it the first time and did that quick little gut review and yeah since then two more times with my family um so three but i plan on going once more because i'm obsessed yeah i saw it twice um once with jody and then i saw it again with my niece so kind of different age groups to go see it with and it was my niece like it was her first time when i saw it with her too Mm -hmm. the Last uh, time I saw, I guess I went last night to get a bit of a refresher, and uh, I, you know, four times, but it was really maybe the first time I felt like the movie just was able to kind of fully fuse with my DNA, and I was just like immersed and enraptured into it. Um, I saw it in 3D for the first time, um, but yeah, just like every kind of moment was just kind of sublime um, and captivating and not really any complaints or anything, nothing that really took me out of the film. Um, I just kind of got to float along. Um, It wasn't, you know, I wasn't like, you know, overly like thrilled either. It was just sort of like, this is, this feels right. You know, not, not too high of highs or too low lows. I don't know. Really, I feel like this one for me was like the highest high animation I've ever seen. I've literally never gone to a movie three times in theaters and I could say it's for the podcast, but like it's because I honestly get full body chills during Show Yourself and Into the Unknown and like numerous other parts. Like I felt like it was my little drug this past week. This movie to me is easily better than like any Disney movie I've ever seen. Like, I'm trying not to, like, be, like, wild about it, but I've decided that, for me, like, it was way, way, way more 
of a influence on my heart than seeing the first one. Yeah, well, yeah, it like I wasn't overly compelled last night because I was in the theater. There was like a couple other people, you know. It, um, I, I was compelled, but not in a super like bouncing off the red uh, fashion because you know having seen it already you know three times and listening to the soundtrack and such but yeah in terms of just sheer um this movie pumping the octane it, it really does you know kind of maximize the feeling that you can possibly get from a disney animated film i, I would agree i don't know if Hannah's yeah the first the first Frozen movie, I mean, I wasn't expecting to love it so much and all of that when I went to the theater. And I think this movie, I was almost shaken with hype because I was so impressed with the first one that I really wanted the second one to be just as good. And I think it met my expectations. It was definitely a different story um, than I was expecting just because, of course, I went online and read all the fan fics for years. Hmm. They've been out. So wow. <laughs> I've heard so many versions of what will happen next in all of the fan theories that I was, like, obsessing with. And it was a lot different than anything that anybody had come up with. So that was kind of a surprise to me. Yeah, I think for the listeners out there that maybe don't know Hannah and I, we sort of work in a, a princess industry so for six months or more, we've had a lot of people speculating on what the hair was going to look like, what the dresses might look like, what the songs might sound like. So I think Hannah and I have been like bombarded with ideas for almost like longer than most people just because of our job really surrounding these two characters of Elsa and Anna and, and what their plot line is and what their characterization is. Yeah, I don't, it's a, interesting film because it's it's kind of obscure like what it's trying to say you know it's it's a bit and it, it has to do with magic and i love how it kind of explores the limitless possibilities it follows elsa on her journey as a magic user and um and really delves into like that whole journey <laughs> i don't know it's uh yeah i think there are limitless possibilities when you have such a compelling starting point but um also you have to sort of thread the needle on you know what kind of plot do we want to unveil but as as like an abstract tonal piece like this film just really hits the nail on the head constantly for me um and and visually as well like um it, it really is a showcase of the power of animation uh, and technically it's just yeah it reminded me of like watching Pinocchio on Disney plus uh, over Thanksgiving and just how that movie was a, a technical marvel at the time in 1940 um, and just required so much effort to accomplish this uh, this film probably did the same um, and uh, yeah I'd be interested to read up more about how they brought this uh, you know the magical world of Arendelle North Aldra to life. Um, yeah, what what compelled them on their journey to tell this story? Yeah, I think the visuals, just to kind of like tab off on what you were saying, the visuals were so stunning. And I think the first time I watched this, they kind of went unnoticed for me. Like I was too involved in watching 
the plot and like figuring out what was going to happen next. And I was really focusing on lyrics. But the second time I watched it, I really got to enjoy the animation. Some of the standout moments for me was anytime Elsa was feeling a strong emotion. I don't know why I didn't connect with her in the first one, but with this one, I definitely did when she spoilers alert but whenever she's singing her power ballads and her eyes seem to well up that animation as far as like facially emotionally was so beautiful and then the overall animation of water really did seem better than disney has ever done and i don't know if they're investing more in that like kind of thing because they're getting ready to do like the live action little mermaid and they're like practicing more with cgi water but i loved the water horse. I love the water waves. I love the water droplets coming out of the old crashed boat. I thought the water animation was just stunning. You really don't see that level of emotion communicated in an animated film. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's something that they're trying to do more of now because they have that capability to just really humanize these characters in such a palpable way. And then, yeah, the, the technical... Um, environmental effects uh, really dwarf just about anything that's come before. Um, you know, you had some similar effects demonstrated in uh, like The Good Dinosaur that served as one of the first showcases of, of like photoreal environments. Um, we've since, you know, seen that used. You know, it's sort of like the Academy um, color encoding system that was unveiled for the Lego movie uh, where everything looks just so photoreal or it's capable of having that quality and aesthetic due to the dynamic range of color you can put into your film. But yeah, and then also combining that with just the exaggerated lifelike quality and you know, the caricature of, of Disney animation uh, really creates for a special uh, chemistry and alchemy that, I don't know, you, I because um, I, I do maybe somewhat struggle with some of the, the plot narrative of, of this movie like it just seems a little lean to me but if you can if you just really sit back and absorb the entire experience th there's really no part of you that feels unsatisfied you know by this one hour 43 minute uh, you know dare I say masterpiece I think it's fine to call it a masterpiece and when it comes to the plot, you know what I think with movies? I think the more times you try to have like storylines for every character, for example, with this one, like Kristoff got his love ballad and Olaf is a more complex like character in the movie. I think you start to lose a little bit of the overall plot because like the time has to accommodate all of these little subplots. And sometimes it can get a little muddy, but like you said, overall masterpiece. I just think I like movies better the reason why i think originals are sometimes better is because it's kind of just following one person's journey and i mean with this one you're sort of following everyone's journey you think mm -hmm. um it, it really yeah none of the characters feel like they've got shortchanged um I'm, I'm curious hannah you said you read a lot of fan fiction uh how well, did these stories communicate the visual language of Frozen? Of course, you know, they're being presented through text, and, and that can be a different medium in terms of style than film. Sure. What, what was your impression? 
I feel like I am a very visual person. Like when I read something, I can see the whole thing happening in my head. So that might be part of my thing here is I am unable to not visualize as I read. So when I read something, I'm just always thinking and like seeing what's going on. So I see the ship crashing. If they say there's a ship crashing in my head as a reader, like I never just see it as text on a page. But I do think that many of the texts that I read were pretty well written. There's always going to be the dud in there, but they were very believable. Um, I did get caught up in the one that was like, I knew that it would never be frozen to, but there was the whole fanfic about Elsa and Anna's parents becoming Tarzan's parents and the whole Ariel finding their ship thing, which now has been disproved in frozen to, but you never know. <laughs> I don't know. I just see so many goofy things online. But I think that a lot of it was pretty well written in, in the sense that it could have been the movie. My favorite one was probably, um, there was something about how Elsa was now living in the ice castle that she had built in the first movie. And she just kind of would show Arendelle her power and kind of integrated that more into the community. So she became someone that was like part of the community was that Elsa would help them with their powers. And that was that big story. Um, obviously there was more that happened to it, but that was kind of the base of it is that the community finally accepted her powers. And the other one that was pretty big that I saw was um, if you ever listen to the deluxe soundtrack of the first movie, they talk about the prophecy and stuff like that. So that one was more about the trolls and the prophecy and about how Elsa was the first prophecy and now there's a second prophecy and then they find all this writing that talks about the different prophecies with Anna and Elsa and that's kind of had autumn powers for Anna in it. And I think that was pretty recent that that one came out. Speaking of powers, I, I guess walking out of the first time seeing this, my big question was like, is, is Elsa capable of manipulating now, you know, water, earth, fire, and air? Like, is she the Avatar? I, that doesn't seem like it's been explained, but it does seem like her power's been expanded quite a bit. I definitely think that the powers have been expanded. I was sort of thinking that the third time I watched the movie, she kind of has to dominate the fire bruni. She needs to like calm the water horse. Um, and I just, I was like trying to reflect back on, you know, in the first movie, she's able to create life like with Olaf and she's able to build like the castle and like do the snow. But now it's like she has like this undertone of control with her magic like not only for her ice power but for like all the other powers like you're saying she's kind of like this pseudo avatar mm -hmm. and they do say of course throughout the movie that she's the link you know that connects the the human what do you like call the it like bridge the human or... secular like the world. yeah the human world with uh the spiritual world but i think like they're taking her growing powers to another level where she can do even more than just like manipulate snow and ice. Yes. I, I came out with a list of, I don't know, uh, transcendental nicknames for Elsa <laughs> after her, uh, experience, you know, in the, uh, at a hall and becoming the bridge. Um, she is the frozen one. 
uh, Elsa Rishi, uh, Mithraindir, which is a play on Mithrandir, um, Gandalf from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> uh, I'll refrain from mentioning any of the ones that like are puns on the prime figures in major religions. <laughs> Uh, but any, yeah, Elsa the White, or Elsa the Only Half White, I guess. <laughs> um, the the fifth <laughs> Elsament, uh, Bog Wilson, uh, Snow Queen in the North, uh, Elsa Claus, Mother Christmas, Mother of Snowmen. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, she's uh, kind of got this deity thing going for her. Um, I don't know. I. I uh, just filled one of my major pop culture holes, one of my voids, uh, this weekend when I saw the movie Akira in theaters um, at a special screening. It was pretty awesome. Um, I don't know if you're f- familiar with this movie, either of you. Have you no, heard of it? No, tell us a little about it because okay. I, I've never even heard of it. <laughs> uh, Akira is kind of like a hero's journey involving two characters who are orphans. They're but they're like brothers um, in Japan, in futuristic Tokyo, Neo-Tokyo. The movie was made in 1988, but it's set in 2019. Um, and they're like in this biker gang. It's super awesome. The visuals are insane. I, I had a hard time believing how they made this back in 1988, um, just based on how stunning it looks. Um, but yeah, a Japanese kind of anime film. Um, where and one of the characters does develop like certain powers and goes on this journey of becoming sort of like this transcendent being, um, and it's just super interesting. Uh, I, I was uh, intrigued by some of the parallels between that. I mean, that movie Akira is partially responsible for like all of mainstream pop culture post, you know, 1988. It was originally a comic series, and then yeah, went on to become a film. Um, but so many big Hollywood blockbusters have taken cues from from this animated film and just the sheer level of spectacle that it offers. Uh, glad to have gotten to see that in theaters. And we'll maybe have to talk about it on the Thodcast, conversations about animation, <laughs> because it's, it's really incredible. Uh, but Frozen 2, also incredible, and um, better music. <laughs> Do you think it has better music than the first movie? Not that this is a podcast to like compare one movie to another, but I personally connect more with a lot of the lyrics of these songs. And I thought the orchestrations overall were stronger too. Now that I've listened to the soundtrack a few times, instrumental and the normal movie ones. So I was curious what you guys thought about the overall soundtrack. If you thought it might be stronger or if it's on par with the last one. I think Let It Go kind of elevates the last soundtrack and this soundtrack was much more musical theater whereas the last one was so pop and a little more contemporary I know I said this in the last podcast we did about Frozen 2 when we were just doing our first initial reactions but this one was definitely more musical theater especially with some things never change and then they had their little nod to um I feel like it was Queen with the whole Kristoff thing. Honestly, that was like every 80s music video ever. Um, and then yeah. there was Into the Unknown, which I think kind of brought in some like operatic elements and almost was um, more of a rock opera 
brand of musical theater. So they brought in a lot of different elements of theater and kind of mixed in like contemporary musical with the classical musical all wrapped into this one score, which was really interesting. And if you think about the other um, musicals that are out right now, so if you think about things, there's like Mean Girls and Anastasia and all of these musicals where they require most of the people to like belt. I think it was really cool to integrate Aurora and the little riff she does during Into the Unknown to kind of bring kids back into a different style of singing. And I think it was cool also to have two power ballads. So now people are like, oh, do I like Into the Unknown or Show Yourself Better? Or there's these other songs. I think it's more of a subject rather than focusing on like the one song, Let It Go, and having Do You Want to Build a Snowman be 10 steps behind it because that one was such a crowd pleaser. There's more balance this time around with the soundtrack. And uh, they really kind of pumped a whole new level of cinema and grandeur into the soundtrack, both like the, the score and the uh, Lopez songs. Um, yeah, Let It Go was such a standout. I mean, there's, you know, a, a few songs, I guess, from the original film that really uh, stand out for me. Um, I would say, Do You Want to Build a Snowman? Um for the first time in forever and let it go for me are, are ones that are breakout hits um and and then the rest are kind of just like b-side material uh to, to an extent i mean they're they're good songs but they're, they're not like go-to's it's interesting because like robert lopez wrote book of mormon so it's just funny to me all of the different styles that he likes to integrate into his work and if you listen to some of Olaf's pieces, they're pretty similar in um, musical context, definitely not actual context, to songs in Book of Mormon, where they have that little upbeat kind of trill within each moment. Yeah, he's uh, some, some lighter fare, but also, uh, yeah, Lopez, it's not just sheer popcorn or, you know, bubblegum. It's, uh, he's definitely brought yeah. some big guns. And I'm pretty sure he did uh, Avenue Q too, which is also a little not for kids. So that's hilarious to me. Yeah, I'm a bit more familiar with that soundtrack. Uh, but yeah, I, I need to brush up on some Robert Lopez. I think to me, my perception was always these were very musical theatery sounding songs and, and not so much like, you know, what you necessarily hear on the radio or, you know, rock themes. Like even uh, you know, Lost in the Woods to me doesn't quite have the punch of like a real 80s rock ballad. It works more within context of the film as like a musical theater piece. With the music itself, I remember when Frozen came out, the original, and Demi Lovato did her cover of Let It Go. And they would literally play Let It Go like in restaurants, in clubs, like that version was being played everywhere, like everywhere you could go. And I think they tried to recreate that a bit with Into the Unknown, um, done by Panic at the Disco. It played at the beginning of the credits and also it's part of the soundtrack um, that came out before the movie debuted. And I think you're right, Philip. I don't think that's something that's gonna be like thrown on the radio anytime soon, but you can see that Disney definitely tried to incorporate like a very like popular 
music guy to do a cover. Uh, actually, there's multiple covers on the soundtrack, the deluxe soundtrack, but Panic at the Disco version. I mean, I could see them playing that at three o'clock on the, on the pop radio station, but it's not the same, I don't think, as Let It Go was as a standalone song. I don't listen to radio nearly as much now as I did when Frozen came out, like almost never. And I, I did definitely hear Let It Go on the radio. Um, for sure, the Idina Menzel version, uh, possibly the uh, Demi Lovato version, which I do like. I like the Demi Lovato version. Um, but I, I don't know how well any of the songs from the new album are charting. I think overall it is a better soundtrack. Uh, the music or the Christoph Beck score is just so epic sounding. Um, it, it has a very John Williams feel. I feel like I'm watching an Indiana Jones movie watching this movie. Uh, th like the scene with Bruni when he's uh, <laughs> savaging the group and uh, do wreaking his havoc. Like sounds like Well of Souls music from Raiders of the Lost Ark when you've got like all the snakes in the pit. Very reminiscent of that. Um, but yeah, just, I don't know how the cultural saturation has really set in yet, but, um, I didn't see the first Frozen until a month after it came out in theaters. Oh my gosh. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think this, I think the producers were pretty aware though, because not only Panic at the Disco, which has had a few big songs in the last year, but Casey Musgraves did a cover of All Is Found and she's huge right now. And then Weezer did it. So it, um, there's been different covers from everyone. And I think Broadway is becoming reliant on integrating themselves in pop. Not that Frozen is Broadway, but Frozen is definitely leaning the soundtrack towards a Broadway soundtrack. And Christoph Beck, I actually wrote a paper, Philip, that I should send to you. Um, when I was in college about Frozen and about how Christoph Beck was kind of underwritten and Robert Lopez got all of this praise, which honestly he deserved everything he got, but it was interesting to me how overlooked the Christoph Beck score was just because it is such a big orchestral piece within a lot of simple parts of the film. So if you think about in the first Frozen when they're just chopping the ice and they start off with the little, um, moments in that overture that Christoph Beck score alone is leaps and bounds over other animated films that we've seen it's not just some simple um flute and piano like he had a full for every moment and I think Robert Lopez is just as genius I mean he his work is wildly above the grade of several animated films if you think about even the things that we've reviewed in the last year the music not only is like the cast and if you think about it everyone but Kristen Bell has Broadway credits I'm not sure if she does but none that I know of it's a very Broadway heavy cast and a very Broadway heavy production team and musical team all in one so it was bound to yeah. be Broadway absolutely well and Christoph Beck yeah he was kind of an up-and-comer when Frozen came out and um you know, he was noted by you know, Robert Lopez in certain interviews that I've heard as like very uh, accommodating to like the themes that Lopez composed for, the, you know, the songs of Frozen. He, you know, Christoph Beck would integrate the Lopez tracks into his own work for the score. 
And it was, it was a very good like collaborative process. You don't always see that from musicals. We have a separate composer for the score. Um, but because they, they were able to develop that synergy, and, and part of that had to do with just the fact that Christoph Beck like, wasn't going to have an ego about it. Um, you know, he was still kind of um, making his way in, in the field. And I think any good composer, it doesn't matter how accomplished you are as a composer, like you, you want to deliver the best product that you can. So that involves you know, being cooperative with your colleagues on, on a given project. Uh, but I do know there are cases, I don't know if it was like Hans Zimmer maybe back in for Lion King or whatever, cer certain projects where the songs don't really integrate much with the score at all. I, I don't know if any of the Hans Zimmer score uh, from The Lion King, for example, invokes um, the songs that were composed by Elton John and Tim Rice. But uh, yeah, overall... Um, yeah, wonderful atmospheric result in Frozen 2. Um, I, I, I still probably prefer Let It Go over any of the songs, but um, Into the Unknown, uh, Do the Next, you know, The Next Right Thing, uh, Show Yourself, like these are all just massively. The Next Right Thing is such an amazing message. Mm -hmm. Like, even when you don't know what to do and you don't know like where your path will lead you six months from now, just do the next right thing. And like, you'll find it eventually, I think is such an amazing message, especially for kids in this era of online craziness. Everyone has all of these things happening to them. That's 10 times crazier than anything anybody 10 years ago could have imagined. And you don't know where you're going to be a year from now. So to just do the next right thing sounds so smart to me. And I love, love, love that message. Even though I think Show Yourself is my favorite song from the album. And last time we talked about this, I said that, um, oh no, said, uh, Some Things um, Will Never oh, Change. Some, yeah, which another great song. Yeah. Yeah. And now I'm changing my mind for the 80th time just because it's all so good. <laughs> It's true. I I said into the unknown. I I would probably maintain that. I don't know about you, Jody. Um, you said show yourself. I believe was your favorite. Yeah, mine has and always will be show yourself. But something that has changed since the first time we watched it. Um, originally, I didn't really like um, Elsa's animation when she is on a black backdrop and sort of showcasing her powers. But now that I've seen it a few more times and it's had a chance to soak in, I really do love that they took that um that direction with it i think it really makes those images stand out when she is conjuring up the different spirits when she is sort of creating her own world within her powers and i think it's a very unique thing and it's something that makes us stand out even more as the like not deity but like as the like queen star avatar person that she is <laughs> oh that really changed for me um now that i've seen it but yes as far as the songs go show yourself is everything she is the frozen one uh and show yourself it's it's kind of an oddly sensual song when you listen to it it, it does kind of play as like a love song uh, that's one thing I noticed. Yeah, I kind of thought the same thing. If you were to listen to that one out of context, it's kind of like um, from the movie where there's that greatest showman. 
there's that song about oh, yeah. being yourself or whatever like the world's gonna shut you down oh this is me right this is brave oh sure yeah i feel like that song was very popular and it had sort of a similar message so if any song from the soundtrack could stand alone to me it is show yourself but it doesn't tell the story of a girl searching for the source of her power it's more a song of like here i am like this is me style you know yeah yeah i get major um my heart will go on vibes from show yourself as well i don't know if you noticed that um kind of that piano riff in the beginning reminds me of the piano riff from my heart will go on um, i could like see the, that you, yeah yeah if, not the you know not that part but there's like an under oh that's what i was thinking i was like what yeah. are you talking about those are completely different sides of the piano there's an undertone like score to that song as well <laughs> i think on a piano where it's like that's <laughs> that that part of the song that you know <laughs> my musical terminology which is toggled to off right now yeah, um, I don't have a very good vernacular for music stuff either. That's why I keep waiting for you to start talking about the money this movie's rolling in. I we'll get to that, <laughs> but um, I don't know. It, yeah, just the the epicness of show yourself is hard to beat. Certainly, I, that might you know that switch might flip for me as well. Where that becomes, I just love into the unknown, like the stabs, the horn stabs during some of the climactic moments of that song, where it's just like she's punching into this expanse of you know what is possible um it, it's this ever undulating flow of do i want to you know push myself out or should i you know retract it's this constant struggle uh, between courage and you know <laughs> and security um and uh it, it, there's just something really like visceral about that for me my big question with the music for this one is Adina Menzel did have a little bit of a hard time singing Let It Go live. And both of those songs, Into the Unknown and Show Yourself, are not crazy easier, but very much easier than Let It Go. So I'm just wondering if vocally, if that had any, and obviously she's still great, but if there's any way that that affected the show, because I know that she actually did a let it go sing along a few weeks ago and she had the cast sing with her because there was the whole thing new year's eve whenever frozen one came out that she sang and her voice cracked and i know ever since then she's only sang it like one time because as a singer that is a very you have to be pretty warmed up to sing that song and I'm not sure if that had any impact on her. Also, she's a bit older. I know I mentioned this in the last one and not knocking her age. It's just a fact that when you've been belting your whole life, that your voice is going to be a little more tired by the time you reach your late 40s. So it's just interesting to me that the songs got easier. And I wonder if that has anything to do with her and how she wants to perform them. Well. She says here that, um, yeah, she warms up a lot, but they do have a contingency in place for if she's not feeling her 
peak that you know they'll drop it into a lower key um she i think she had a moment in amsterdam she mentions here uh you know where she's on a tour she has a cold and she she wants to just go home uh i she said i have to take it down a key because it's just that they're really challenging songs um so i guess there's yeah and she is known for very challenging songs like defying gravity from Wicked, she probably performs at every concert that she performs Let It Go at. And she, that's just one tough cookie after another. Like, she has to be very warm and take very good care of herself. Mm-hmm. And traveling alone, like, I travel with Jody every weekend. And it takes a lot out on your voice. Yeah, I, that's a good policy, you know, instead of just canceling a performance. If things go bad, like, yeah, yeah you, you uh, just adjust the music a little bit and... The show must go on. That's such a finicky process, being a live performer. (laughs) Subject to so many different pushes and pulls. Yeah, what a life. Yeah, just like two days after the big premiere, or I guess a few days after the big premiere, she was in the uh, Macy's Day Parade for the Thanksgiving. Yeah, Macy's Thanksgiving Day. The parade. Um, And she was singing singing on a float some Christmas (laughs) songs. And I was like, man, that girl is like, not only is she having this huge premiere as the voice of Elsa, like the voice of a new generation, but like she's also like marching out in the 20 degree cold, like singing Christmas songs. Like, Well, she just released her Christmas album like one week before Frozen came out. Like she's been on tour doing that anyways. Yeah, she's got an album to promote. It, it kind of makes sense. But yeah, kudos to her for... <laughs> braving the parade oh her vocal cords will be like falling on the floor soon <laughs> uh, let's hope not well then we'll just have to hire emma bridgewater oh my gosh <laughs> philip like she'll still do it they'll just be like elsa has a cold again um oh gosh yeah frozen fever elwaf's frozen adventure I've, I've got tremendous nostalgia for those as well i one last note on show yourself you know how it it at the end, like, I'm wondering its efficacy as a standalone piece if it's sort of jeopardized by the fact that it brings in that reprise of All Is Found at the end of that song. And, and that kind of maybe would make people scratch their heads if they're just hearing Show Yourself for the first time. It's like, what's this other, like, really minor key sort of song that's coming in now with Evan Rachel Wood? Like, um, I... It's you know it's a silly question like would that prevent this song from really having a, a ton of impact either on radio or just people performing it out of context because it is so integral to the plot of the film. Right. I don't know if you noticed that. Um, I don't. I, I if it's powerful enough, it shouldn't matter. But it does sort of break into an entirely different song towards the end there. And, yeah, I don't know how that, how well that would work in just a performance setting. Yeah, I think, like, it's some one of those things where you have to, like, know the song to enjoy the song. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to know the context. But if you just heard someone singing that, you'd be like, what the heck? Mm-hmm. Yeah, w- wonderful songs. Uh, I think my favorite quote from the film is a lyric from show yourself uh where elsa's she's like something is familiar like a dream 
that I can reach but not quite hold. So every dream ever. Yeah. How just kidding. Just it's... kidding. That's a pessimistic <laughs> yeah. way to look into it. My favorite line not to like jump all over the I'm just I mean, like a dream is a very non-tangible thing. And I mean, we learned from Rapunzel that a dream, there's always a new one. So I'm just saying it's not pessimistic. Well, it's, it's the thing that you have to hold on loosely to kind of everything that's that you hold valuable if you hold on too tight if you go too deep you know you'll you'll lose control or you'll drown is that kind of okay so that was going to be my big question now that i've seen it three times and i still feel a little confused on um so of course in the lullaby they warn if you follow it too far like you'll drown so she's following her grandfather and the leader of the uh, the Northaldra. Yeah, the Northaldra. She she wants to follow them deeper and find out more. But isn't that an important part of finding the truth? Like, I don't understand how she was like following them too far when she was following for the truth. Like, you would think the truth, you would stop at the truth and then you'd go further if you were looking for like even more. But I thought she was following them just to figure out what went wrong in the past. So I don't think for me that part clicked especially well of her like falling too deep and quote unquote drowning freezing because I don't think she was taking it too far I think she was really just going far enough to get the facts what did what did you guys kind of get from that her her going too far quote unquote well Anna says Anna says in the movie like my sister gave her life for this so I think yes she was drowning but was that fine because it's Elsa as a character? Like, if you think about it, anybody else wouldn't have even made it that far into, like, in the first movie, Anna is willing to give her life to save Elsa. So now Elsa is willing to give her life to save everyone. So I guess I'm answering your question with a question. But... I think that because it was Elsa, and by the way, Disney just like saying Elsa is the fifth element and us just believing it is like hilarious to me. But I think because it was Elsa is how everything is kind of meshing together. Yeah, I, I guess that, I don't but really was she it. going too far to the point of being drowned when really she was going just far enough? Like, I guess that's my one little nitpicky thing. I wish she would have been like, oh, now I know the truth, but like, I want to see my mom or like see my dad more. And like, maybe that would be pushing it too far. Mm, wow. Sure. That, I like that. Um, yeah, this kind of speaks to some of my um, minor gripes with the movie. Uh, the the plot of King Runard being this big bad, you know, this ultimate despicable, unabashedly evil villain. <laughs> you know it's oh Donald gosh. Trump, you guys. Like, come on, my mom even told me. Yeah. He, Why do we even have to say his name on, like, this? Like, can it just be a different universe where we don't have to deal with Donald that? Donald Trump. <laughs> it's Donald Trump. Oh, no. Like, ugh, sick of it. <laughs> yeah. My head. No, I, it's, it's a great joke. But, like, the King Runard, you know, he's just this character who's going to summarily execute this other leader. Leader, and I, Maybe there's more going on there. I mean, the movie certainly makes no efforts to further explain Runard's reasoning other than, oh, magic. Magic equals bad. 
uh, therefore <laughs> I feel justified in killing this unarmed man. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. It, yeah, it's very kind of um, Governor Radcliffe-esque from Pocahontas, where he's just this kind of mustache twirling. Yeah, they even have the same body type, that, like, barrel chest and, like, little hairdo style. <laughs> yeah. And that's a very good comparison. Better than my Thonald Thrump one. But, like, I, I don't know. That was my little plot hole, too, but I'm not trying to complain about it. Did you notice going to it well, four times any other little gaping spots that are kind of tickling your mind that didn't make sense? Well, I just, it's the thing where these films, Disney animated films, and, and a lot of other animated films as well, because they are just so um, intensive in terms of their production and um, you know what, what their limitations are technically. Uh, they have a certain cadence to them, a rhythm where they can't linger on anything for too long. Um, it's, it's why, you know, a movie like Aladdin, you know, it's trying to be sort of an Indiana Jones adventure, but it can't quite, like, capture that same you know, true gritty rough-and-tumble feel. Be because, like, and you, you don't get the gravity of, like, a, a true action epic from the medium of animation, or at least it's very hard to communicate that to, to the same degree of, like, just sheer magnitude. Uh, there's other things you can do much better in animation, certainly. Emotions, I feel, uh, convey on you know, a stronger magnitude than live action in many cases. Um, but I, I wish, you know, something like Frozen 2 could maybe standalone better as a um, as an action film or a drama where like you really get to understand the dynamics between the North Aldra and the Arendellians and you know maybe it's just this one section of North Aldra that's been cursed and there's a whole other civilization up north that's got the strained relationship with the kingdom of Arendelle and there's politics involved with like Elsa and Anna and Kristoff venturing into the North Aldra territory to try to resolve this problem. Um, you know, that's why so few people had ever even bothered journeying to the, the land of the mists, um, where, you know, this seemingly um, just obvious evidence of magical intermingling with the, uh, the temporal is occurring. You know, you'd think it'd be just this massive, like, <laughs> tourist attraction or something for people to go up and visit this oh, magical I... mist with this magical, impenetrable barrier. <laughs> um, but, like, so, so why, you know, why is there such an overt appearance of, of magic in the world and, and people aren't really talking about it more? Uh, you know, what... what um, what is like the whole ethos of the North Aldra and how do they relate to the Arendellians? Yeah, I, it's, you know, it's complex. Yeah, um, I think but, you kind of, oh, yeah. sorry, not to interrupt that. But I think you no, kind of no, maybe no. touched on it or at least I've been thinking about it and I thought you touched on it. How like Elsa's parents were like so shocked at the like sight of powers that they like locked her up forever and like closed all the gates when really like, they'd both seen in action 
these spirits, they both experience, not experienced having magic, but they've experienced people who can control magic that it's kind of weird that in the second one, it's like, oh, magic has always existed. But in the first one, magic has never existed. Like that kind of bugged me. Yeah. I think they're more afraid of the people around them. Like they're more afraid that the people of Arendelle don't have those powers. So they're afraid that Elsa will be kind of pushed away and seen as a monster, not to Frozen Broadway. Um, if she is found with the powers versus that, like, they don't know about them. But I think they're confused at the magic because they were both so young. They don't really know as much because if you think about it, they're adults now. So when she saved him in that whole Northodril thing with the people from Arendelle, like, I'm not sure that they know everything about the magic and the rock trolls were the closest to the, that what they had because their families that did know about the magic are now gone and trapped or passed whatever they think at that time yeah so there's a lot left to the imagination yeah <laughs> yeah i'm sure there'll be lots of writing about it something i do think is really interesting is disney had um some contracts and did some research with Native American people in so that they wouldn't sound offensive to the culture within this movie. Mm -hmm. Oh, Native Scandinavian. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, sorry. What did I say? Native American. Oh, whoops. <laughs> well, I think it was really um, smart on Disney's part to do a little extra research because if you think about it, like there's so many cultures covered by Disney movies, and I just think for them to be so aware of their impact was pretty smart. Yeah, I definitely think oh, yeah. now that it's almost 2020, like you need to be proactive when it comes to things like that. Like some people might think we're living in like a PC culture because we go above and beyond in areas like this, but it's like with a movie this influential, stuff like that, like you said, Hannah, it just, it's props to Disney for covering the bases and like doing it in a respectful manner. And I mean, it probably took a team of like 10 people, like five days to do it. So like, I'm thankful that they, they did do something like that. Yeah. It's uh. so I, one thing I looked for was in my most recent viewing was if Anna and Elsa knew that their mother was North Aldra and there's nothing that says that they didn't. So it's possible they grew up knowing that their mother was from this Northern Tribe. I feel like they didn't um, know because when they found the little like blanket on their mom, they're like, oh my gosh, we are Northaldra. And they kind of make this big statement and everyone's like, na, 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 hey, ya, na, 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 na. So I feel like they didn't know because like it was the big surprise for everybody moment. But maybe you're right, Philip, but I think it was like this big like secret. Yeah, I, um, why wouldn't I, I, I just, don't see why it would have been that big of a deal I, because you know the mother she stows away back to, yeah, i don't know but i think it's like they yeah. have like bad blood with that group in arendelle like because they don't really understand like what happened with that battle but i think the mom kind of kept it a secret because they even do a flashback where she's like cuddled up with the king saying there's something i need to tell you about where i came from and he's like i'm ready to hear it 
Mm-hmm. So like, I feel like it was her little, like she thought this like bad secret or something. And I, I think it was supposed to be like this big moment when they realized, oh my gosh, we know more about our mother. She was Nathaldra. Well, yeah, there's that flashback moment. She's got something to tell him about her past. That can't be the fact that she's Northaldra, though. He he would have to have known. No, that. he he got knocked out. He didn't know. Like he, he got... had no idea how he was saved. And like she like told him, "Oh, we met." Mm. Like, well, I mean, you could be right. We're gonna have to watch it a fifth time. But I think that he didn't know about her past. See, this is another problem I have. Where they did cut a lot of stuff from the trailers, but also, yeah, based on the way the movie is cut, uh, it is possible what you're saying. Like she. They just didn't know each other well enough to where, um, you know, she stowed away back on the trip back to Arendelle, maybe got adopted by a family in Arendelle and then developed this friendship with the king. And he was unaware that she was originally from, you know, the Enchanted Lands. Um, That is a plausible explanation based on what is seen in this film. It just doesn't seem very plausible <laughs> i don't know that's Based just kind of what yeah. i took out of it what about like the statue of her saving him that's not a statue that was like a little snow memory because water has memory and they only build the statue at the very end of the movie to honor their past so they can have a better future like the statue wasn't in i know until the end but like their snow memory like that had to have happened if it was a memory so she had to have saved him. Yeah, but he didn't remember it because he bonked his head and she never told him because she thought like everybody hated her people. So you think that like then, okay. Like I understand that the girls didn't Honestly, know. Honestly, I don't think that, the, I don't even think that the dad knew until they were about to die in the wave because in the flashback, it shows them in the same pose as like gonna be coming under the wave and her saying, I have to tell you something. And he's like, I'll like be listening to you. Like, honestly, I don't think anybody <laughs> knew that she was associated with the the people out in the Enchanted Forest. But I could be wrong, but I'm right. <laughs> I, yeah, I hope that's not the case. That's not how I read it. But, but we'll, uh, we'll I, I, be going to the movie again to like yeah. telling you all the truth. I'll be, I'll be Venmoing you money for your tickets, people. But wait, wait, wait. I have more of a fun thing to throw in about oh, sure. them. You know, when she's like flipping upside down going, what you reading? And he, the dad is like, oh, some new Danish author. Oh, the Little Mermaid is on the cover of the book. He's reading The Little Mermaid. Oh, I caught that that was a Hans Christian Andersen reference. I didn't see the book, though. So that blows our other theory out of the water. You're welcome. <laughs> I, I like the nod to real world events. Um, you know, this, they show a photograph. Um, you, you see Baymax, actually. There's one little Easter egg in the opening. It was, like, right there, front and center, when Anna and Elsa are playing with their little ice dolls. <laughs> Did you catch the Baymax among the group? There's also, like, an elephant, like a little Dumbo. Cute. I didn't see that. Is that when they're playing, mm-hmm. like, Enchanted Forest on their in- floor? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you should uh, yeah, look out for that. I guess it makes sense that they'd put a Baymax in there because he just looks like a big snowman. The real question uh, is after... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. What's your question? I was going to jump away from Easter eggs. So if you noticed more of those, I'd I'd honestly love to hear about them because I only saw the Little Mermaid book. 
Well, one is she, Elsa, during Something's Never Changed, she's handing out gifts to little kids. I, I guess it's like a harvest festival that they're doing that day. I, and I did see Lefsa, <gasps> uh, classic no. Norwegian short, or, you know, flatbread, potato bread. <laughs> um, yeah, I actually made Lefsa, or I, I didn't make it. My family made Lefsa over Thanksgiving. I, I'm usually involved in the process, but this year I wasn't. Unfortunately, but yeah, uh, she she gives one little girl a sextant, so promoting STEM. Oh, girls. cute! Is that the very last child who comes in, and Elsa's like, "What's that?" Kind of like makes a little face and then makes it. Yeah, the girl uh, whispers in her ear. It's it's like a like a navigational tool that you know people use for charting maps and stuff. Yeah, sextant. Um, Maybe so. that little girl's gonna grow up and be in the movie Atlantis because don't they use those in that one? Yeah, and another uh, woke, I guess, example, uh, the fact that Arendelle is a lot more diverse this time around. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's necessarily a continuity error because, you know, it's just these are background characters and it's not something you're meant to pay that much attention to. But uh, obviously, just a lot more detail in the backgrounds in general. But yeah, uh, the, the photograph of uh, seeing that this is like, post mid 19th century no guns though um which is fine because arendelle's a small kingdom they don't necessarily need a standing army <laughs> and going into the enchanted forest probably not a good idea to bring guns um and then my last point was like yoda would be proud of elsa anna and Kristoff for not bringing any weapons on their journey uh to the enchanted forest but even though I think there was a concept earlier on where they did have a sword, because you saw that in one of the trailers, um, you know, Anna draws what looks like a metallic sword from Kristoff's belt and swings it at the camera. Uh, that gets transplanted into the ice sword that we see. It's pretty awesome uh, from that statue of Runard that Elsa creates. Uh, beyond that, yeah, it's... Uh, you don't see a lot of weapon is clashing in this film. Yeah, I think that that sword got you and Dawson pretty excited in the trailer because you're like, oh my gosh, she's going to have like a sword, like she has a weapon. And then it really only made like a four second appearance. But like the trailer kind of made it seem yeah. like that was her weapon of choice. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a weapons fanatic. <laughs> Just, you know, action movies and such. Well, they hurl boulders, so that's, like, something they have going. This, this whole movie has, like, I think a lot of action, yeah. but I liked how simple it was. It was, like, first the action with the wind, then the action with the fire, then the action with the water, and then the final action with the earth. I really liked how they kind of broke it down so they got to, like, kind of accomplish one level at a time to get to the end of the movie. I really liked it. Almost like they should make a game about it. Ooh, I'd play. I'd be totally down. There, sh there should be an action RPG on PlayStation or something. Philip's yeah. like getting out his credit card. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like Skyrim. Yeah, where you have to like play through. Honestly, though, I'd, like I'd Crash Bandicoot style, where you have to like <laughs> go through your little um, diamonds. Oh, collecting the the gems and such. That's the funny. elements. Love that. I was just picturing Sonic the Hedgehog, but instead of Sonic, it'd be like a little Elsa battling the big boss at the end with her like ice powers smashing through. 
Oh, wait, here's a question now that we've had some time to like dwell on the movie. Originally, I thought that Olaf was like a little much with his like coming to age plot. Like I just thought it was a little too busy for me and I thought it was kind of a distraction. But by the third time, I thought it was hilarious. What did you guys think after seeing it the second time? Do you feel like it flowed in well with with the plot? I think there was a lot of subplots, maybe a few too many in this movie where we kind of lost concentration like with the whole Kristoff and Anna proposing thing and all of the things with meeting all of these new characters and then Olaf, there is a lot of things. I think it could have been its own short maybe. Um, like he could have had his own little thing kind of like the Olaf's adventure, but I did really like Olaf in this movie. I think he was hilarious and a really standout character in this movie a lot of people are saying oh sorry philip you answered no, no, no. what did you i no, i, I, I agree mm-hmm. with hannah or with with uh, both of us i was going to expand on the subplot point uh, but what no, are you go saying for it because i was i was going to jump into a whole nother subplot okay. and then you can wrap it up with like your opinions <laughs> on the subplots because there's so many i was uh hoping for a subplot about you know young Agnar and Iduna, and I, you know, my brother and I were kind of speculating that would be good for like a, a, a short maybe on Disney Plus or something. Whoa, like in like in flashbacks or something. Yeah, yeah, flashbacks. That's I mean, cool. the movie's only an hour forty three minutes. Yeah, it could have maybe. Philip, you need to publish like your Frozen three like what you want thing and like we'll just yeah. keep submitting it to Disney until they animate it for us. I, I'm working on an outline <laughs> but yeah Jody, you you had something further? Um, I was going to just expand like I said on the subplots. Uh, something you said earlier was your favorite um, kind of quote from the movie was that lyric about holding onto a dream and I've seen a lot of people online really clinging to the Kristoff subplot and saying how proud they were to see him saying things like my love isn't fragile and expressing his emotion through song and also just being there to help Anna with her goals as more of a like supporting male um, and how people really did attach to that. So even though it wasn't my personal favorite, like Kristoff has never been someone I've really, really like loved in the movies. I, I have seen a lot of positive feedback uh, for his little storyline and the way they have him you know, interacting and, and, and diving into his own emotions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it balanced the, it helped to balance the film. I, I like that it had a touching kind of romantic subplot and Jonathan Groff deserved a song of his own. Uh, it, um, you know, wasn't my favorite song of the film, but in endlessly charming, <laughs> I would say. Um, and, and it did, it was kind of nice to pace things out a little bit with the addition of the song. Yeah, I don't have too much to comment on. Our friend Misty thinks that song is like the greatest hit because she's like an 80s girl and she's like, oh my God, I can't stop singing Lost in the Woods. Like she's just not to be dramatic. <laughs> she's obsessed. So like I think they threw that in for the moms in the crowd, the moms like Misty who want to relive their effinescence. She literally sent us a text that said, when people ask who my favorite bands are, I'm going to say Kristoff and Evanescence. <laughs> she literally sent us that like yesterday. I'm all for bringing the 80s back. But Evanescence, they're a little newer though, right? I don't know. That's just yeah. like her Pearl Jam. So like I just said Evanescence. That's like her. 
it was just like that's always her favorite band and then chris dog yeah. is also it's not 80s but it's also something that like she loved i think they're like late 90s i'm not totally sure yeah wake me up inside <laughs> yeah that that's like Kristoff vibes <laughs> for her now like she's gonna like be requesting that Kristoff tours the nation so she can get her vip tickets mm-hmm this is it. Everyone ready? The past is not what it seems. You must go north. Find the truth. I'm going with you. Anna? No. Excuse me, I climbed the North Mountain, survived a frozen heart, and saved you from my ex-boyfriend, so... Promise me we do this together, okay? I promise. about the past i believe in you elsa more than anyone or anything okay now it's time to talk about the money philip show us where the money is when it comes to frozen. <laughs> you shared something about it and i want the listeners to know how well this is doing worldwide we're in the money yes the, we're money. In the money and the broader expanse of frozen into all of our yeah, retinas and minds and utter saturation and and hopefully you know maybe potential further expansion of the lore and the universe into future sequels or I, oh i i would say frozen moving forward really has its destiny firmly inlaid into cinema and f- feature film releases because it, this movie is just putting up insane numbers. It's crazy. This is the second week in a row uh, where it's you know done over. Um, I guess it, it didn't quite top a hundred million domestically in the three day total, but most of the a- analytics are tracking the five day Thanksgiving total, in which it nearly matched its three day opening total. Yeah, so I, so far it's made about three hundred million domestically, and close to eight hundred million globally after just thirteen days. <laughs> it's incredible. Speaking of incredible, Incredibles two is the only movie so far that's um, ahead of it, other than probably The Lion King. Oh, it'll be passing yeah. Incredibles two. Oh, once they start selling the white dress, like, at the movie theater for the kids, like, it'll be making triple what it's making now. People are losing their mind over the white dress, and, like, they'll be going again with their kids in the white dress. Oh, and, of course, those movies, Lion King and Incredibles 2, uh, Lion King isn't always considered in these rankings because only various outlets regard it as an animated film. Uh, But, like, those are summer releases, and the box office functions a lot differently during the summertime than it does in the holiday. Holidays are much more of a slow burn, typically, where you don't get the, these huge opening weekends so much as you get, like, these long, drawn-out, um, rip, you know, runs during the entirety of the season. Uh, so to for Frozen to be doing as well as it is, as quickly as it is, just shows that it could go on. I mean, it's already close to a billion dollars, 
and uh, Avengers Endgame has what close to three billion as its total, but that was a summer release. Um, this movie has a shot at giving Avengers Endgame its very own on your left. If you get that reference. <laughs> I get it. Like we're coming up hot. We're speeding around you through the snowstorm and we're going to like glide on past you coming up left. Yeah, right? exactly. And it's a line from the Avengers movies as well. Captain America. Oh, I haven't seen the Avengers. Yeah. We need Dawson for the superhero talk. When when uh, Captain America's training in the morning, he's, he's like lapping this other dude. And each time he <laughs> makes a lap around, he's, he goes on your left. Uh yeah, so Avengers Endgame's at uh, twenty-eight or two point eight billion dollars worldwide. Um, yeah, so I, I Frozen Two would be a miracle for it to reach that, but because of the drawn-out nature of holiday releases, um, you never know; it could be running strong until February. I read that it's exceeded um, their high expectations for the movie. Um, I read a little thing saying on like Disney is like very, very happily excited about the response. Like they said that they had high hopes and like the, the reviews are like surpassing their high hopes. So that's kind of good to see that all the people who've been working on this project for six years and if they worked on Frozen 1, I mean, over a decade, that, that they're like going to bed, sleeping sleep in happy dreams about how well they did like not and not even just money but i mean that people are re reviewing it pretty well because i mean sequels mm -hmm. like we said last time we talked about this they get nitpicked they get heavily judged it's inevitable for us to not compare so i'm sure a lot of people were a little bit nervous about the response and and they can be happy knowing that it was so well received yeah it's it's really wonderful uh, but also sets a lot of high expectations for you know whatever might be next <laughs> i mean i really hope they do a trilogy or like you said maybe some type of a uh, spin-off shorts just to kind of fill us in because i kind of got a little nervous at the end because like olaf says to elsa are we done and then Elsa's like yes we're done and i looked at my sister i was like i hope that doesn't like mean that they're done with like frozen and she's like no just this movie and i was like i don't know what if they do want to like and while they're on top, like she, yeah, she says that fairly casually. It's sort of a flippant remark. Oh, not, good. Not it's so... not like telling me it's over. <laughs> no, we're done. I, I love Adina Menzel's performance as Elsa in this. I, the I fact that she's too. got so much more dialogue, it's just ugh. Plug. And not even that. Like <laughs> she gets a real personality in a lot of like her physical things because like during Show Yourself when she gets to see her own self singing let it go and she sort of rolls her eyes at herself and then she sees hans and kind of throws her hands in the air and lets him collapse like elsa i think is just such a more dynamic not that she wasn't before but for me i just love her now and i wasn't i was more of an honor girl before the sequel mm -hmm. like the, the way she's you know coddling the salamander bruni you know there's such just so many intricate delightful character moments um, i want to meet yeah. the real elsa <laughs> i'm obsessed now like i'm one of those people that's obsessed with the cartoon now like he's I, amazing yeah i did do the character mean greet at disneyland here uh it was just elsa when i went which was fine i mean 
my my goddess. <laughs> Were you uh, able to ask her any questions about the movie now that she's meeting and greeting in the parks? Yeah, I I asked her. So are you living in uh, Atahualland now? She said, Yeah, she's um, she's living in the north. Um, what I asked, how long does it take to get to Arendelle <laughs> from at home? Oh, cute! That's uh, such a good question. <laughs> she said not long. She didn't give any specific number. Um, but well, she, they really threw us for yeah. a loop having them doing meet and greets literally the next day after the yeah. movie came out. So, I mean, any answer is probably a good answer at this point. Like Hannah and I talked about last time, like no one knew about the final dresses, and now like those are the dresses that are exposed for everyone. So think about the questions Anna is getting going from like this like silly princess in her travel dress to being a queen and having to like react to those questions. I give those props. I give like lots of props to the parks girls for being able to jump in with these like reintroductions of Elsa and Anna. She um, yeah, kind of laid out her schedule because they, I, I guess, established that uh, she returns to Arendelle on like a weekly basis. Um, she she used the term paper airplane to describe the letters that Anna sends, you know, via the the wind spirit. Uh, <laughs> it's it's clearly not an airplane in the movie. It's a a bird, but um, the costume part Elsa is savvy enough to put it in a more relatable context for park goers. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was it was good. Uh, so we'll be seeing more from Frozen Two and the new looks, the new transformations of the characters. Philip, was the line like insane when you went there versus like Norma, Elsa and Anna and were their personalities different like that you thought? This California adventure on a Sunday evening, it was the line wasn't terrible. Um, and I think they were just saying that it was just Elsa, um, possibly Anna, but I would say personality wise, Elsa just had more personality <laughs> in general. She's just got a lot more going on that makes her interesting as a character now that she's kind of been a queen for a while and has gone on multiple adventures. Um, she, she's a bit more talkative. Um, yeah, not, not that I am a regular... Uh, um, like, I've, I've done that character meet and greet a couple times, but it's not like I'm a regular connoisseur of that type of thing. So I, I don't have much to compare it to. Well, if we get out to California, we're going to make you meet them again because I'm dying to see them. Yeah. Oh, I got to go back. Yeah. Just to see Anna. Um, I, I did want to ask, like, if I ever got a chance, you know, what was the extent of their interaction growing up? Because that's something that uh, always continues to, like, dog me and befuddle me, you know, just what? What was the deal? What was going through Anna's head when Elsa was shutting Anna out as a kid? And like, how did that not lead to greater resentment? Or did they see each other, but just in a very limited capacity? It, it's all very confusing to me, but it's fine with, you know, left within the abstract confines of, you know, the imagination. Um, yeah. yeah, I think it's tough. Like, like we've kind of bounced back to quite a few times. It's tough with a story like this because I would just like love to know every detail. I'd love to have it all filled out. I'd love to have like 
50 full-length feature movies so I could like live their life with them so I I get that Philip where it's you have these kind of lingering questions that they're not like necessary but like if you love the movie if you're a super fan you'd love to fill in the fill in the blanks Mm -hmm. absolutely that's it's the um the drug of fandom uh, (laughs) that it's definitely pumped heavily into my veins for whatever reason this movie has really done it for me uh or these these movies frozen frozen 2 um so you feel satisfied then right like you feel like i mean i'm saying that i'm like getting full body chills and stuff but you're satisfied with it like you don't think that it was a letdown at all right absolutely satisfied i think they really pushed the limits of the technology with this film could be a jumping board for something bigger in the future. However, I don't think their intention is primarily focusing on further franchising Frozen uh, because I know Jennifer Lee and Chris Buck have been quoted as saying they haven't thought beyond the last frame of this film. There's uh, no way they haven't thought beyond. I have been thinking past the last frame. <laughs> These people are thinking past the last frame. Well, like, I want to know. At least not on record. It's going to be a trilogy. Like, don't mess with me. It'll probably have to be because of the box office success. But there have been successful Disney animated films in the past that have been left just kind of hanging. And that had always been the tradition. This is the first animated musical sequel to a Disney film. Um but what if this could potentially start a new trend of like taking big hit animated musicals from Disney and making theatrical full scale sequels to these movies? Obviously, they've been expanded in home video releases and such that don't nearly get the same um, regard as as the theatrical films. Um, so maybe they'll start instead of doing the live action remakes, go back to the mind of, oh, let's make a real Little Mermaid 2 or a real oh. Aladdin. <laughs> I don't think this will happen because these movies just take so much effort to make. Um, Philip, you have to hold on to your dreams. I don't necessarily that's... want it. I don't want that to happen. Oh, you don't? <laughs> oh, I'm, sorry, unless... I with you. I thought you were saying that it would be cool to see. It would I... be kind of cool. It would also mean that Disney animations is just going the way of every oh, other corporate Hollywood. I agree with you both ways. Yeah, I I would pre- yeah prefer the sanctity of Walt Disney Animation Studios be maintained by not uh, watering down their quality. There's really only so much talent that is available to build these incredible works of art. Uh, <laughs> And cinema, I mean, sure, it's a business, it's a corporation, but the, these, the people who make these films really put their heart and soul into it. And um, it's best that be reserved for the endeavors that are most worthy of, of these people's time and, and imagination. Yeah. I, so... Lots to be said. It's it's a lot different making a sequel or, or an entirely new Walt Disney animated, animated film or a Pixar film than it is like a you know live action Aladdin or you know live action film where the production pipeline for that sort of thing is is a lot more established. Um, 
these animated movies are just much more specific and um it's uh it's not so easy to just <laughs> to just go out and make an animated movie it took six years to make frozen 2 um so we'll see how long it takes if they decide to make frozen 3 um hopefully they will <laughs> yeah sorry yeah. i didn't know i was on mute somehow that happened oh no me neither actually i was actually talking and i was like why isn't he listening to me <laughs> so it's like well then and i'm like ah we we've uh yeah we've talked a lot about this movie there's still plenty more that i could say but um for this sake of this episode it's gone on quite a, a while and so we can probably start to wrap things up if any if either of you have any main points that you want to make um for sure let's let's talk about them but i'm i think i've essentially exhausted my uh <laughs> my bounty that i wanted to bring to this conversation hmm. well if you're tired of frozen i'm tired of frozen but i think we did a i'm happy we got a second chance to talk about it because like i said since watching it the first time i feel like i've loved it like my appreciation has grown um so i don't know maybe like a year from now when the dvd comes out we'll get to talk about it again because i think this is one of those movies that i'm gonna watch probably 10 more times and i'm always going to be excited to sort of dive into yeah i think that it's only a story that we were maybe not expecting but i'm ready for more and i'm excited to watch it again and again and i think it will be in the realm of a timeless disney classic which is amazing for a sequel mm -hmm. yeah they're they're going for a classic feel something very impressionistic that doesn't necessarily get bogged down in details but can be appreciated by adults and kids alike uh, and they were very successful in delivering it that this time around yeah as much as someone like me i can be a bit of a lore hound and you know wanting to expand the world and the universe and the you know every little detail i can explore um that's you know that doesn't always yield the best result that's sort of like the whole uh, theme in this film of you know, you don't want to go too deep or you know, you'll drown you'll lose sight of what's important um, so best to keep things a little bit abstract a little bit vague and shallow yeah not shallow <laughs> just kidding just kidding it's not to say shallow i was just thinking of that song dancing through life from the musical wicked and i was like wait we don't want to go too deep we want to kind of skim the surface but no i think i think you're right like find what you're looking for and don't always ask for more um i don't know be content yes thank give thanks this is a season of thanksgiving <laughs> Uh, so no, I'm I'm eternally grateful for this experience. I was it's always great to have something you're anticipating so heavily pay off in a satisfying way. Um, so yeah, it's 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 really everything I could have ever wanted. Um, yeah, the <laughs> I was gonna say you better hope just, that just... we don't die before they do the third one. Because like, what yeah. if we hadn't been born in the time of Frozen? Think of what we would have missed. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe maybe a little bit more uh, action in the sequel would be welcome. 
more people getting stabbed. No, impaled by ice. <laughs> uh, frozen? Yeah. Oh, not frozen. Sorry, Olaf got impaled quite a few times with his like stick arms and little like gemstones in his nose. He so did. he got a little bit impalation. Is that a word? It is now. Yeah, yeah, it is now. Yeah. I don't know. I, I thought the ice or the the rock monsters. That was one of my complaints going into the movie. They look kind of goofy with their giant noses, uh, but I, you know, they're shown to breathe very heavily. That they have a certain lifelike quality to them, so it makes sense that they would have enlarged olfactory cavities. <laughs> Man, um, yeah, pretty much all I have to offer for now on Frozen Two. Uh, all over the place with this conversation. <laughs> Thanks for bearing with us, though, uh, on the Thodcast, Conversations About Animation. I'm Philip. Uh, thank you so much, Jody and Hannah. Uh, where can people listening find you? Oh, yeah. Uh, I was thinking I was going to say, oh, a lot more times in this episode. Um, but you can come find me on Instagram and maybe I'll sing live on there for you. Uh, it's Jody Pulaski, J-O-D-I-P-O-L-A-S-K-Y. You can find me there and you can find me here. And it's been great talking to everyone today. And my name is Hannah. And you can find me on Instagram at Hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H, Lee, L-E-I-G-H, Ever After, like fairy tales. And I really liked Frozen 2 and I'm excited to see it again. Samantha? And uh, yes, all the homeopathy jokes you could possibly make with water having memory. And uh, <laughs> let's, uh, let's journey into the unknown together as we enter the conclusion of this year of our Lord, 2019. Uh, it's been a, a good, fun ride. Uh, part of why I started the Thodcast was in anticipation for this movie well over a year ago. Um, I've been pretty well clued into all things Frozen ever since I uh, saw the movie for the first time on December 22nd, uh, 2013, a whole month after the movie came out back then, but I was not nearly the fan of uh, Disney animation that I am now. Um, yes, thank you so much, Jody and Hannah. Thank you for listening to this uh, episode, and... Um, yeah, you can find Philip Elke, me, Philip Elke, on uh, Twitter and Instagram, at Philip Elke. Find the Thodcast at Thodcast.com, at the Thodcast, at, or at Thodcast on Twitter and Instagram. Um, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Google Podcasts. And um, what a ride it has been indeed. Um, sleigh ride. <laughs> a sleigh ride. Going on a sleigh ride. And, uh, yes, indulge in all your frozen goodness this holiday season. Um, we'll be back on the show very soon. So, until then, have a magical day and a wonderful week. Warm hugs, everyone. Uh, <laughs> what? I had to. I had to. That was going to be the big ending sound. <laughs>